This is our people and Mother Earth on KWSO. The museum at Warm Springs opened in March of 1993. As they mark their 30th anniversary, we take a look back at the museum's opening ceremonies. The welcome was given by then Tribal Council Chairman Raymond Tasumpty Sr. I'd like to welcome all the membership, Warm Springs, our neighbors, friends, and guests, and bear witness the dedication of our museum, a museum that holds our treasures of our past, of who we are. Long ago, before the coming of the non-Indians, the upper and lower Deschutes bands of the Walla Wallas and the Wasco bands were neighbors on the river. Even then, we had different cultures and traditions. In 1855, we signed a treaty with the United States government. And in 1857, we moved to our reservation. A little more than 20 years after the Warren Springs and Wasco tribes located on the reservation, the Paiute tribe arrived. By 1879, our reservation featured three tribes with three different languages, different customs, traditions, and lifestyles. We were three uniquely different tribes but we learn to get along with each other. We learn to help each other. We learn that our diversity could be an asset. Our diversity gave us strength to get through hard times. Our diversity also enabled us to view problems and opportunities from different perspectives. <clears throat> the strength of each tribe empowered us to make wise decisions. Decisions that benefit future generations. Today, as we dedicate this beautiful facility, that means so much to our people. Thank you. Dwight Delbert Frank was the president of the museum's board of directors at the time of the museum at Warm Springs grand opening in 1993 when he shared these words. Imagine somehow that we have to record what we have left. Because they didn't know how to read or write, so they couldn't record anything. We have to learn it by experience, actual experience, of the territory, the country, and, and who we are. And he spoke of, of somehow that we must find a way to record all of the records permanently, never realizing those days that we can probably one day have a museum that we see today because the tribe didn't have much money we could look forward to building something like this. 
But it's amazing that all the help we got from the people in Oregon and throughout the country and the board members, both member and non-member, I really appreciate it. I could remember the elders talking to us when I was a very young member of the tribal council. And I lived in a position for 30 years. Now, I've been gone a year now, but things is happening so fast, I enjoy what is happening today, especially this day we look forward so long. To me, this building is more than just a museum. I remember the memories of the elders speaking to me about recording everything that we had left. Somehow that we must show it in picture, we must find out some other way that we could record all they left because he says one day Congress is going to want to know who you are, where you come from, where did you originate. You're going to have to tell somebody who you really are and the only way you're going to do it is that you're going to have to have recording of some kind and today we have that. Now and if you will tour the museum you will find all of the records in there and they are going to be recorded here forever. The main reason I've seen that many of our people, Oregonians, non-Indians, throughout the United States especially, did not understand us. We couldn't communicate with one another. There was no way of doing it. And inform one another effectively. And this is the only way we figured that we can do it. We're going to have to build something like this where people can come and see all the records, the pictures, and the whole history. And I think today you will see that, the result of that in this building today. And I'm really happy that there is such a building and, I, and the job is accomplished pretty much. And I thank you all from all over the country that had come to see us and visit us today, and I really appreciate it. So with this few words, I thank you all. Looking back, we listened to comments from Chief Delvis Heath from the museum's grand opening. We had a celebration here in 1955. I think uh, the honoring of uh, all of our people that passed on, many of the people like Zane, Delbert Frank, Harold Kalpas, Amos Simtestis, my dad, Nathan Heath, Johnny Simtestis, the people, the chiefs before me, did a wonderful job of setting up and providing for us, setting us a road and a direction to be. Only Pat was one of them. In 1955, we had chosen some people to be a centennial queen in court. And that queen in court was Kathleen Heath, Evelyn Pat, and Nina Rowe the foresight of uh, their fathers and their grandfathers to get us to where we're at. Today, we wouldn't be standing here. I would like to ask them if they have anything to say, just go ahead and say it. It is truly a great honor and a great pleasure to be asked to be here today on this important day of the opening of the museum of the Confederate Times. 
I tried very hard to imagine or create in my mind what this museum is going to incorporate for us as Indian people and for all of the people that are are here today and that will be here in the future. And the only analogy I can come up with is a tree. Where I feel like the roots of the tree is our foundation and the rest of the tree is our religion, our languages, our history, our arts, our elders, I think, have to be mentioned because our elders are the people that carry on these traditions. Good morning. My name is Edwin Katz. I would like to thank Zalvis for making the introductions. I feel very honored. I feel real proud that the museum is up and that we have a way of sharing our culture, our past, and that we will continue to share that, to share it also with the public, and that with the languages developed, that we will be learning more about our own, our own culture, our own ways. It makes me feel very proud when I drive by here to see the museum, and I'm glad that it's, that it's done. And I know my father and my grandfather would be equally proud too. Thank you. Good morning to each and every one of you. I'm glad to see so many of you today. I also would like to thank Elvis, Evelyn, and Nina for, for being able to be here and to speak all that they have spoken. I don't feel that I have much more to add. So we're all happy to be here. Thank you. Oh, thank you. For 30 years, the museum at Warm Springs has opened its doors to educate the world about the history and life ways of the tribes and bands of Wasco and Warm Springs people from along the Columbia River, along with the northern Paiute people who came together to form the Confederated Tribes of Warm Springs. At the museum's grand opening in March of 1993, that's why Warren Rudy Clements was the MC. Now the strength of our people, not only the Wasco, but the Warm Springs, the Paiute, are the spiritual people, the ones that truly live and walk the Creator's way. We're blessed to have Gladys Thompson. She's kind of a a very humble person, but a very knowledgeable and gifted person. So we're going to ask her to offer a prayer in the Wasco language. Baman Shaiki didn't shall come in Shahar of Tinks. Oh, God, my Kamai Mamus Knamiti Kana, we done Bakabakta Bakshamum cut gate, Kana, we done Kimum cut gate. Kodokan Kwan Kwasa, there we go, Kadi, we go and shut Hamat Bamadan. My Kamai Mam Mukit Klatan Iriakchen Dan and Giriakinskia. Kabakta ba mai kid mi kakutin 
Looking back, we listened to comments from Ken Smith, who at the time of the museum's grand opening was Secretary-Treasurer-CEO for the Confederated Tribes of Warm Springs. It's a real uh, pleasure to be here, and as I look out there, I see um, many uh, happy and proud faces, and I think that makes us all feel good, especially as tribal members. We've been waiting for a long time for this particular day, this historic day that we celebrate for the opening of the museum. You know, at one time, it was only a dream, and now that dream has come true. It's a reality. And it took a lot of work and a lot of dedication of many people to make that dream come true. And as many of you know, the tribe has been very successful through the history. If you go back just a few years, in 1964, we opened Canada. In 1967, we opened the Warm Springs Forest Products Mill. <laughs> you know, and in 1982, we dedicated our hydro plant. And those were economic. The other project that uh, the members wanted desperately was a health and wellness clinic. And if some of you drive by the early childhood center, you'll see right across the street a 37,000 square feet building being built for as a wellness center. And then we got the museum. And that's why we're here today to celebrate the dedication of the museum. You know, this museum will represent the long and proud history of the tribes and will have an important presence in our community. It will link the past with the present and the future and from generation to generation. And also, it will help us share our people's culture, our traditions, our values, our beliefs, and more importantly, educate not only our people, but educate all our neighbors and all the people that come to visit this particular museum about our tribe and the success of our tribe and this project really started back in 1968. And this is the time when the tribes decided to acquire the artifacts that was getting off the reservation. And as you know, during those years and in past history, most artifacts get off reservations. And it's my understanding at one time, I think I was talking to someone in Dakotas, that most of the artifacts of the 1817s, 1800s, 95% of that artifacts is in Europe. You cannot see it in the United States. And so we felt it was very important, before ours got away, that we had to start appropriating some dollars to buy those artifacts. And we started in 1968. And through the years, we spent over $900,000 since that time. And we're continuing to purchase those artifacts for our museum. And I think this is one of the largest and most comprehensive collections owned by a tribe in the United States. And I think this collection serves as the cornerstone of this particular museum. In 1988, the tribes voted and approved $2.5 million to build this facility. 
And this accumulated to $3.2 million with the interest it's earned before we started to build it. And again, I think this is the most money that any Indian tribe has invested in a museum in the country, in the U.S. And also, we've raised another $3.2 million from foundations, organizations, uh, from other people, from the, our neighbors, from around the state. And we like to thank those people. And I think uh, we thanked them last night. We had a nice dinner and they all participated. And I would like to thank you again for those dollars. And the construction of the museum began in June of 1991 and was completed in May of last year. But of course, we had to put the exhibitory in, so that took a little while. So today, we're celebrating that opening. But I'd like to thank, I know, the Tribal Council. Uh, they really supported this museum. And of course, the Museum Board of Directors, our Board of Regents, and the museum staff, and all of our friends who helped help make this possible. But most of all, I want to thank the tribal members because they're the ones that wanted this museum. They're the ones that voted for the money and supported this whole project as we went along. And I just want to thank them and thank you. The museum at Warm Springs opened in March of 1993. As they mark their 30th anniversary, we take a look back at their museum opening ceremonies and these words from Atwai Chief Nelson Wolulutum. Greetings. This morning takes me back a long time because I remember when the first Canada was built down below what they call the village. And we had a gathering of interested persons to talk about museums. And many of those people are gone on before, but we had other people that were interested in those things. And I believe, in my mind, the setting that this museum is situated at is a very significant thing in our historical background. In the beginning, when Captain Gray, May 11th, I believe it was, came into the mouth of the Columbia River and discovered our people. And from there, we had one of the greatest trading partnerships. Our trade went to China and different things, and furs and other things that they had and we got back metal and other things than from those foreign countries. So after Lewis and Clark came down the river in the early 1800s, from 05 to 06, it was a second contact we made. So we more or less kind of served under the British for a little while in the lower part of the river and then the Americans came. Another British person, not a citizen of the United States, came, Peter King Ogden, in 24 and 25, and ran into our people along these routes. 
And the reason I say this is such a significant place is because the early explorers used the trail that coming through that gap there and down and going what they called the Klamath Trail on their way to California or wherever they were traveling to. And we had other explorers come through. In 1855, when we had our treaty with the United States, a railroad exploration under the president came from the south the same year in uh, 1855. And it happened to be almost same again, October, looking for a route for a railroad track over the mountains. And so many of the places that we have are named after some of these explorers. Fremont came south. General Fremont, they called him in later days, a man without an army, but he was still under presidential commission. And he picked up Chief Billy Chinook, and they went south through this same area again, down into California and on into Old Mexico, and then back, and then Billy Chinook uh, went east to be educated. And so we have been in contact with the Dun Indian for a long, long time, uh, but not as long as the Eastern Indians, because Peter King Ogden, when he came, brought with him some freemen, which are people that hired out to work for someone. And so with some of that exploration that he was doing, he brought some Iroquois with him, and so uh, in the museum you'll probably see some of that kind of beadwork. It, there isn't any out here. It's the uh, Great Lakes era kind of uh, designs that they made. So uh, we picked up that beadwork from those people that was with Peter Sting Ogden. And down through the years, other historical things happened. The rush up the Deschutes River, two railroad outfits uh, vying for who was going to get the railroad through and uh, down and on to California. Well, we had the, the old railroad bed you'll still see across the river that was uh, more or less done away with in 1911. And our people have sustained themselves not too long ago that I can remember that we lived off the land and so many of the things that we have in the museum reflects that time uh, basketry uh, bags that they gathered roots with uh, baskets of course for berries or choke cherries or uh, storing and so over the years, with uh, the influx of the non-Indian not having supermarkets in those days, killed off to the deers so badly that we changed over to the white man's cloth and those things. So you'll notice our people using cloth more these days, but we start using 
uh, deer hides again because the population start growing back after they got their supermarkets and all those. Uh, <laughs> of course, I changed our diet. So our people, too, are supermarket people today. If they don't have a loaf of bread, they're going to starve. <laughs> so they, they have to have an open route to the supermarket. And I have a great feeling for my people. Some of my people came from somewhere in the Northwest because of uh, being pushed by the settlers and being pushed. We had people moving into our country. We had uh, some of our people moving some other place into other. So we had a great conflict for a while. But after the reservations were made and after the great diseases decimated our people, we more or less got along together. We are stepping back in time to March 1993 when the museum's grand opening took place and when Wilson Weewa Jr. shared these comments. Good afternoon, my dear friends, relatives, Indian people. Today is a great occasion for the Confederated Tribes of the Warm Springs Indian Reservation. My people came here to this reservation not as signers of the Treaty of 1855, but we came to this reservation as prisoners of war. My great-grandfather, Chief Weawiwa, was the one who made the treaty for the Malheur Indian Reservation in Southeast Oregon. He was also the brother of Palina. For those of you who know Central Oregon history, was one of the chiefs who raided throughout Central Oregon and Eastern Oregon. And our people settled on the south part of the reservation. And when we were given allotments on this reservation, we came a part of the governing body. And today we have representation on the council. And I believe that it was with the intention of keeping our cultures alive that this building is being dedicated today. And the things in it that were brought by our Paiute people, it was until lately, in about the past 50 years, that our people started saving the things that were handed down from our old people because it was part of our culture that when we lost a member of our tribe, that all the personal belongings were burned. And today, the Wiwa family keeps some of the relics that were given to us by our grandmother and many of the songs and the language that was passed down to our people. And I, too, as a member of the Confederated Tribes and a representative of our Paiute people, welcome you here today. Thank you. The museum at Warm Springs' grand opening in 1993 from the KWSO archives. I'm Sue Matters reporting for Our People and Mother Earth on 91.9 FM KWSO.